Welcome to Waypointers, the podcast for agency and tech leaders designed to bring you the best insight, advice, and discussion from the leading lights within the agency and technology landscape. Produced by Waypoint Partners, this podcast equips technology and agency leaders with the tools to overcome the unique challenges they face to increase value and turbocharge business growth. Every episode brings together industry pioneers and our own in-house specialists on growth advisory and M&A to share illuminating conversations that will help your agency or tech business reach its full potential. You can subscribe to Waypointers on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Amazon Music. I hope you enjoy this episode of Waypointers. Hello, I'm Jamie Lermont, and welcome to another episode of Waypointers. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Tom Otten, CEO at Create Group, an integrated digital communications agency based in Dubai, working with clients mainly based in and around the GCC region. I've had the pleasure of working with Tom and his team for almost two and a half years now, during which time it's fair to say Create has been on a pretty significant growth journey. I'm not going to go into too much depth on that just now because Tom is appearing on another of our episodes where he'll take us through his business story in much more detail. Tom, welcome. Thank you very much, Jamie. It's an absolute pleasure to be having a chat with you today. Can I just say, I feel like I have a lot to live up to here. You obviously have your own well-established podcast, The Creator Sessions, and are a TEDx speaker, so no pressure on me at all. I was going to say, we've had the pleasure of having many conversations over the last two and a half years, and no doubt there'll be value for the listeners in, in this one as well. Here today to talk about an aspect of diversity that's not always part of the mainstream conversation, certainly not in the UK, but it's one that by way of being located where you are, you encounter on a regular basis, and that is cultural diversity. Would you like to give us a quick rundown on what it's like running a business in Dubai, the cultural aspects that you have to navigate, perhaps starting with the makeup of your staff, teams and clients? And that way we'll be able to set the scene for listeners who might not have given much thought to the topic to date. Absolutely. We've had the pleasure of building a business over the last 12 years here in Dubai. And Dubai is a melting pot of cultures. It's interesting to have this conversation today. It's one of those things that seems so normal for living here that it's almost not a topic of conversation. So it's interesting the dichotomy with that and the the conversation or perhaps lack of it in the UK because every team in the UAE is made up of, of many different cultures, many different backgrounds, and it's, a, it's always a very interesting mix. We've got 200 people across the agency here. We have offices in, in, in multiple locations. We have an office in Riyadh in Saudi Arabia, the UAE itself, uh, Egypt, uh, and a small office in Pakistan as well. And across those 200 people, we have uh, multiple nationalities, multiple backgrounds. Uh, people come from all walks of life, all levels of experience, and it, it really does add uh, so much to the, the cultural fabric of our business. There are challenges at times, I would say, less on the, the internal community side, but potentially on the client side, because if you look at that side of it, again, our point of contact with our client can be from pretty much any country that you could think of. That person might be building their career here in the UAE or across in, in Saudi Arabia, where, where our clients sit across those two geographies. There are certainly some, some basic fundamentals of, of, of engagement, but to be honest, they're the basic fundamentals of engagement with people. It doesn't matter where they're from. Um, we have to be more empathetic. We have to understand that we can't make assumptions. Uh, we have to be much clearer in our communications because cultural nuances play out in, in so many different ways. And it's over time, it's very easy to, to misstep if you are assuming things. Yes. So I think the, the basic premise of, of how to engage is to make sure that we are listening a lot better and more actively than, than we might in other locations. 
Really interesting. And thanks for painting that picture. Before we go a little deeper into specific issues, I think it's important to highlight why your experience is so relevant. Now, while it's becoming more important generally, COVID-19 obviously forced most of us to deal with the prospect of hybrid working. And that's presented leaders and staff with challenges. It's also created significant opportunities. So, for example, we now work with many clients whose teams work entirely from home. I've seen them start to build teams that are no longer restricted to regional boundaries in the way that they were perhaps perceived to be before 2020. Clearly, that brings diversity by default, and with it, many things that you've already had to navigate. So I wondered if you could talk to us a little bit more about the world of hybrid working and remote teams and what your experience is in all of that. Absolutely. I think hybrid working and remote management is a stress test of your culture. It will highlight any inefficiencies or flaws that you have in terms of how your company operates because naturally there is, there's more friction to engaging. Conversations around the water cooler are quite easy to have, especially the softer, more nuanced ones. When everything has to be set up on a Teams call, it automatically creates a, 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 just a different level of engagement. So I would say that in terms of how to do that, I think companies are going to have to double down if they haven't already on their internal team culture and what that means from a communication standpoint. So what are the channels that are available to people to communicate, especially uh, the non-formal ones? Yeah. So, so are you setting up certain Slack groups of certain things? Are you letting things grow organically? Are you trying to create moments? Uh, are you bringing everybody together? If you have a remote team to do more team building activities in different locations around the world, if you're spread geographically in that way. So I think it needs to really be thought through. I would say Pre-pandemic, uh, more traditional structures of businesses, if we're talking to a UK audience, a lot of that might might happen organically through socializing after work, uh, planning on the weekends, whatever that might be. I think the mindset shift has to go to, right, now I have multiple teams in multiple territories that come from very different backgrounds, different ways of communication, yeah. uh, different language, uh, culture, et cetera, et cetera. So leaders actually have to have a plan for this. They need to think through how am I bringing these people together to make sure that these teams communicate because on any one particular team, you maybe you've got five different nationalities. Now, how are they engaging to, to kind of bring people together? So look at the military, when, when teams start to really work together, it's when they almost can preempt what the other person is either thinking or doing so that they can work accordingly. Yeah. And we've all seen that in the sports scenario play out when, when teams are just intuitively engaging with each other and moving through challenges quite easily. To get to that point, it will not just happen if you've got people from multiple different backgrounds. You need to think through, how do I facilitate that as a leader? And there are ways to do that, but it, it definitely needs thought. It sounds like you're, you know, you're talking there about creating the right structures and opportunities for people to have the right interactions, which mm. is, you know, seems to be a little bit trickier since the pandemic. So let's get into the real detail of how to manage culture well. You talked about the hard and soft factors, the non-negotiables to be aware of when it comes to managing a multicultural team. So putting it in the context of the UK or the US, that would mean not expecting people to work on Christmas Day or on Thanksgiving. Can you talk us through the hard factors that you've come across at Create as the business has grown over the last few years? Absolutely. I think there are, um, with the hard factors, it would be the most basic level is understanding working hours in different geographies and creating a culture that respects those. Mm -hmm. So, for example, we've got a few different um, time zones with our team, making sure that we're only expecting people to be online at a certain time, trying to refrain from sending emails outside of that that are super late, super early. So that, that's the, the basics of setting a culture of communication that respects time away from the business. Obviously, you know, we're in 
in the agency landscape. Obviously, that sometimes that uh, you know on event days and this sort of thing that that has to go out of the window. But that shouldn't be the culture. That shouldn't be the always on. So focusing on on the basics of that, but also understanding cultural nuances around religion. Let's say so. Mm-hmm. There are certain religious holidays, but there's also other cultural events that happen in in certain countries. Festivals that might happen. Just what what is the cultural fabric of the different nationalities that you work with, and making sure that you are not only respecting those from a business operation standpoint, but also respecting them from a culture standpoint. Sure. How do you celebrate them? Let's let's go further than that. Not just respect them, but how do you celebrate them? Because that's really one way where you can really build and create your own culture by celebrating all of the different nuances, the different different cultures that you have. And it and it shows that, A, that your company is, is multicultural, that you're respectful, but it also gives opportunities to bring people together. It's been amazing to see when we've celebrated Diwali, for example, in the office here, and there will be people that, that are not traditionally, not Indian, not traditionally celebrating Diwali, yeah. um, but will then join in the festivities and, and dress up and be part of the celebration. And it creates the bond and the friendship between people that come from different backgrounds. So we've really tried hard to focus on that as a way of bringing people together. But then on to the softer side of things, it's it's understanding sometimes, again, I, I refer a lot to the kind of cultural nuances that you can only really pick up by understanding where somebody is coming from, what their background is, what might potentially upset them if we, if we take a slightly different trajectory on the conversation. But sure. there are ways of communicating with different cultures, different nationalities. Some, some nationalities and some cultures will prefer to have a more direct conversation and it can be quite straightforward. Others would be offended by that. So I'll give a, a really obvious one. American culture, American business culture, very direct, very straightforward. Sit down in the meeting, get to the point of business. This is why we're all here. There's not so many niceties around that. It's very efficient. If you go into Saudi Arabia and behave like that, that will not play out for you. It will not work well because the hospitality is, is, a, is a key part of that. But the culture specifically, the Arab culture as a whole, but I see it personally even more so in um, in Saudi when we go in, that you might, you might spend the first 30 minutes of a meeting talking about nothing to do with business, nothing to do with the meeting. You're talking about the weekend. You're talking about, honestly, absolutely anything. Like creating a, a bond between the two people, finding a common ground that will not only elevate the conversation, elevate the business relationship. It's so important that if you don't pay attention to that, you risk being mildly offensive to the person that you don't care about them. You just you're just there for a reason. You're just there to do business, and that's um, it's not how things play there. So you've really got to understand how to engage with different cultures so that you are respectful of how they choose to communicate with you. Okay, so I mean, it sounds like you're talking about um, you know est- establishing personal connection there, which of course is important the world over, but certainly ve- it sounds very different in Saudi Arabia mm-hmm. to some other parts of the of the world. So I'm interested, you know, you and I have had a conversation about this um, previously, and then I'm interested about the structures that you have deliberately put in place within Create to ensure that the right conversations, the right opportunities to have conversations has, is there. What what types of things have you done? Absolutely. So we've got uh, one of the structures we have in place is our team culture manager. Now, with that, we we focus heavily on on empathetic listening. Um, and making sure that Create is a safe space for everybody that that, that works here. That role doesn't actually fit within uh, HR, so it's separate. And we had that function created when we were about 35 people. And you know, as we, we've scaled up to 200 now, but we st- we invested in that role when we were only that size. Yeah. And it made a it's made a real difference to our. To, it was between 35 and 50 people, but certainly no more than that. And it, it made a real difference to our growth because it created that safe space that everybody felt. It then allowed us not only to have such an engaged team that we were doing great work for clients because everybody was super engaged and wanted to be here, but also then when you're attracting talent, 
when you're competing, as we all do for, for talent against any other agency or, or, or even clients sometimes, we, we were able to, to create such a culture or have been able to create such a culture that that then attracted top talent, which then fueled our growth because we were able to bring in better people and, and grow and, and, and scale. So yeah. all of it's fed in to each other. So looking back now, I really saw it as a cost to business to start with, but I knew it was the right thing to do. But when I actually look back at it from, from the position I have today, I'm like, wow, that was probably one of the best ROIs that we ever did if we're talking yeah. pure business standpoint. I mean, I did it for human reasons, but if we're looking at it from a business standpoint, it was probably one of the most impactful decisions that, I, that I'd made in the journey. So critical to success and that you've enjoyed so far. But it didn't seem like that at the time. But, but, uh, but yeah, the way that it's played out, it's, you know, it's easy to join the dots looking backwards. The obvious question from my perspective, as an outsider learning the ropes, how do you avoid falling into cliches and national stereotypes that can be damaging? And how do you push past those and your own biases? To your point at the end there, you have to be very aware of your own cultural biases and and many of us aren't. Uh, we believe that the information that we've been fed is the correct information and, and anything that it's that doesn't align with that is is probably wrong. You can't have that as your starting point, right? So, you know, everything that we consume, you know, we work in communications, everything that we consume has been thought through by somebody. Mm -hmm. So depending on which news channel or which newspaper you read, you're going to have a, a particular worldview, which is biased, right? That's just natural because those channels are controlled. So you have to enter a conversation or a, uh, say a, a choice of leadership style with a view that most of what you know is probably wrong. Most right. of what you think you know about a country or a culture or a people is probably incorrect because it's been given to you by somebody else. Um, you didn't go there. You didn't find out yourself. You read an article or you watched a news report or, and, and, and those are biased. So going in with that mindset to say, like, I'm probably going to make some mistakes here, but to show the people that you are trying to engage with that you're very aware that, that you don't know. And you just ask questions and it has to come from a place of real consideration, real warmth, the real positive intent. Nobody's going to get offended, even if you do get it wrong. If you got it wrong by thinking you were making the, you know, the right call, the right decision or the right statement. So there's, I suppose there's two sides. One is the, let's say the, we'll use the hard soft analogy. The harder side is educate yourself <laughs> to start with. You know, if you've got different cultures um, working together, Spend some time on Google. Like read what you can about a bit of research. And, and not, uh, yeah, a bit of research, but not just from the sources that you would normally get that information from, right? So try and find some some information that might have come from that country itself, and you know, just start to broaden your understanding about um, about working with people from different cultures. So that's your starting point. To be honest, the best teacher are the people themselves, and you say, look, like we're working together, we're doing all this sort of stuff, X, Y, Z, whatever the scenario is that you that you find yourselves in with the community that you're working with. Just say, look, I, I'll probably get a few of these things wrong, but you know, I really want to learn more about your culture. I want to learn more about you know, what, what's, what's important to you. What is a cultural no? If you build a, a specific relationship with a single person, you could say to them, hey, look, I'm trying to improve my leadership skill set with people management in this area. I've got somebody to speak to about maybe, maybe you've got a, an issue to deal with. Maybe you can ask that person, how do you think I should engage to start with you know so it's just it's basics it's 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 learning it's listening it's asking questions but primarily as long as it comes from positive intent um and you're and you really genuinely do care about the people that you're in that you're engaging with then they will give you a lot of leeway so i wouldn't worry too much about getting things wrong as long as they know that you're making an effort to learn more about them everybody likes that right yeah. Something's just popped into my mind there as you were talking about the whole thing around authentic leadership. It's the authenticity of mm. your intent, I suppose, there that makes all the difference. 
presumably you've you, you've had a good response from the, the when you've taken this approach. Have you have you always had a good response from people, or has there been you know has it been difficult sometimes? What what's your feeling there? It's been difficult, not necessarily with with a, a misstep that I might have made, but there's been difficult situations for sure where right. someone said something, not realizing that what they said is really offensive, and then I've got to sit them down and be like what you said was really offside okay. um, and explain why. And then they're like, oh, wow. Okay. I didn't realize that. I was like, I know you didn't realize it. Otherwise we wouldn't be having this conversation. We'd be having sure. a very different conversation if I thought you actually meant what you just said. As long as you've got, as long as you've got good people in the room, yeah. uh, they'll make mistakes. And, and most importantly, they'll forgive each other for mistakes. So the, I, the, you know, the specific situation, I won't go into, into the details of it, but the specific situation, there was, a, there was a word used, let's say in, in the office, which to, to one culture was offensive and the other didn't see any issue with it whatsoever. So I, and I had to sit them down and be like, here's the cultural nuance around what you just said. And this is how this other person feels. And they were like, they were then shocked yeah. to realize that they'd said something that they didn't realize and then you know they all, everyone had to make up and then the other party involved understood that this person didn't realize what they were saying so forgave them for it so it's just making sure that again if you've got a positive culture within your community you should be able to overcome these things even if in the moment you've got a real problem on your hands if people believe that ev everything is said with the right intent then you'll be able to move past that i suppose that would go for for you as a leader as well if you said something that was potentially um I mean, look, I don't think you would say something, but maybe you made a decision to say, okay, we need to do X, Y, and Z. And then you realize afterwards that, okay, well, that's going to be an issue for the community. I'll, I'll give you, I'll give you a reason and being very transparent. This was a mistake that I made very early on uh -huh. where we, um, we took a job with a global hotel chain. Mm -hmm. So we were doing some work for this hotel chain and it was a range of things. We were doing design work at the time. It was very early on in, in uh, before we kind of pivoted hundred percent into the digital space. Mm -hmm. um, we were doing a bit of general design work. This had been bubbling along for a few months, all good, no problem. And then we were asked to do some design work for a restaurant slash bar, but I would say it's more of a bar than a restaurant. And we did that as well. And it was only afterwards I realized that the team didn't want to say anything. A few members in the team didn't want to say anything, but it was an issue for them that they were working on something that had alcohol in it. Right. So when they were putting, it was like menu designs or something that we were doing. But because it had listed alcohol there and they felt that they were then working on something that facilitated the sale of alcohol, amazingly, the team figured out, and obviously we rectified this afterwards, but it just, I mean, it goes to show how amazing these guys are. They, they figured out how many hours they worked on that particular work. They took that from their own salary and donated it to charity because they didn't want to receive money wow. themselves for work done on something alcoholic. And they never mentioned it to me. Yeah, we're all super close. We're all very friendly. And, and they were like, they didn't want to, let's say, quote unquote, damage the business by saying we will refuse to work on this. So they did it. And that's what they did themselves in the background. I found out about a year later. I know it wasn't a year later, maybe six months later that they'd done this because it came up in a conversation with somebody through somebody. And obviously, I mean, I was, I was blown away and we, we, we sorted that out, but it was, um, yeah, I still think back and I was just blown away that they wouldn't say something about that. So that was very early on in our journey and that stuck with me and it's always stuck with me. So now we, we've we questioned everything along the way. We've never worked in the alcohol space at all, actually, in that way. It, it's been, um, yeah, really impactful in terms of how we approach stuff. Now we, we still approach things in the same way, but I would say even to a higher level because we, you know, we're in a fortunate space where we can mostly choose the type of work we want to work on. So if stuff comes in and we're like, does that really sit with us? As I think most agencies should should and hopefully do from a moral standpoint do you choose to work on tobacco or not do you choose to work on x or y obviously you can go down a rabbit hole with that but that story really stuck with me for a long time 
That's fascinating. You know, you talked about earlier a bit about safe spaces. It's a it's a term that we hear increasingly, both in society more broadly as well as in business. What what does it mean for you in the region that you operate? In the agency world, we put so much of ourselves into our jobs. I think more than more than many, not as much as most, but but agency life is 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 pretty full on, as you very well know. Indeed, yes. And because of that, I think it is absolutely essential that the environment in which you spend so much of your time, effort, energy, not just the hours in the office, but you know, the thinking about it, everything that you put of yourself into into work, which we ask, a, uh, this industry asks a lot of, it's critical that when you are doing that, you're not also playing defense, that you're not also trying to navigate politics, putting your armor on to come to work because you've got to deal with this one and that one. And, and you know, this person's trying to kind of get a foot over, you know, in this way or that way. It's critical to me, not for, for a number of reasons. Firstly, and very much firstly and primarily, it's, the, it's from a human standpoint. I selfishly want to create an environment that everybody walks in and, and, and high fives each other. And I want to be part of that. Obviously, that's not always the way when you're, when you're running a larger organization. I get that. But the fundamentals of that should remain that if you have the opportunity to create a community, you owe it to society to create a positive one. So that's where my viewpoint starts. Right. And then from there, I also believe, and I, again, I know because the data tells us this, that it's the right thing to do from a business standpoint as well. Yeah. You create a positive environment. People come in, they feel safe. So therefore, they can focus on work. They can focus on in building the community even further. They can focus on their interpersonal relationships. They can focus on those things rather than coming in and thinking, I'm going to fight today because you now I've got a you know a toxic boss or a toxic coworker or so it's very important. Now to relate it more to this particular conversation, because a lot of what I said is is obviously relates to to any agency, mm-hmm. because of all of the different ingredients, let's say, from the cultural makeup that we have, which are far broader than many. It's critically important that we get that right because there are so many more trigger points, I would say, in in our makeup than there are in a more homogenous makeup of a team. So yeah. there are so many more trigger points. And, bec- and because of that, we have to really focus on it being a safe space that you cannot come in and make another group of people feel uncomfortable because of your cultural views, religious views, whatever views they might be. And I'm not just talking about, you know, sports teams for example i'm talking like the trigger points are f- far deeper far more personal um, and far more important than that so you have to really make sure that it is safe for everybody to come to work all right thank you tom this has been really enlightening i wonder if uh, i could ask you to finish up by giving a few top tips a quick summary for our listeners on what you think are the most important things to do when looking to manage a multi-culture team or client base Certainly. Firstly, would be to not make assumptions. Mm-hmm. Don't let your ego get in the way of the decisions that you're making, because quite often you will be wrong Okay. and you will potentially get things wrong. So you have to be very open to, to feedback uh, from people. So I would say, I mean, look, leadership, you need to remove your ego as much as possible anyway. But in this particular context of cultural understanding, you have to understand that you have been conditioned in a certain way, no matter where you've come from. Yeah. And therefore, you have to approach things very empathetically. You have to ask many more questions. You need to be open to that feedback. And if you get things wrong, you have to hold your hand up and be transparent and say, I got it wrong. Don't try and cover cover up because your ego is telling you that you know, you're the boss and whatever you say is correct. That will only lead in one direction. It will not be good for your community. So being able to take feedback and, uh, and, and listen would be the, the key things, I would say. 
Good advice. Good advice. Thank you very much, Tom. It's been an absolute pleasure as always. You've given myself and our listeners a lot to think about. If you're not currently thinking about cultural diversity, perhaps you should be. Thank you very much, Tom. It's been a real pleasure, Jamie, as always. Yeah, thank you for inviting me on the podcast. I really enjoyed talking about this. It's something that uh, that I'm very passionate about. And if any of your listeners have any particular questions or heard anything that um, that have triggered a thought, I'd be more than happy. They can drop me a note on, on LinkedIn. I'd be more than happy to answer some questions. Thank you for that. Thank you for listening to Waypointers. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to hear more from agency and tech leaders, Please subscribe to Waypointers on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Amazon Music. This podcast is brought to you by Waypoint Partners, a leading global growth and M&A advisory firm specializing in the creative and tech agency sectors. For bespoke advice on growing your agency or tech business, please visit waypointpartners.co.uk and follow Waypoint Partners on social media.